I want to get into the Word. I'm looking forward to getting into the Word. A lot of times, I'm a bit uh, selfish like this, okay? Now, I'm always sensitive, so I'm kind of being goofy, a little tongue-in-cheek, but I always want to be sensitive to what God's doing, but I am evaluating my own life, and I think that your life has a public purpose. All the private things in your life have a public purpose. I think you experience things so that you can minister to others that are walking through things, right? You'll see that in the scripture. I mean, the word says that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Well, it's his obedience that brings ministry into my life. It also says that he became acquainted with everything I've ever been tempted with and every temptation. That means he had personal experiences that equip him to minister to me. Well, you're just like him. You're going to have personal experiences that equip you to minister to those around you. So it's not meant to sound so shocking as, wow, this guy's really selfish. What I'm saying is I'll evaluate my own life. I'll evaluate this week or maybe even this morning. I might evaluate this worship service and what's moving in my heart and ask myself, what is it that needs to be shared? What's the public purpose behind this private experience? And not all private experiences have a public purpose. That way my wife's not really nervous up here, like, what are you about to tell them? But I do think that your life has a series of events and experiences that end up having a, a wonderful public purpose. A great example of that is your testimony, right? It's a very private thing. It's your life. It's very unique to you, right? Your testimony is your testimony. It's, it's belonging to you. You possess it. But yet it has a powerful purpose when released through you to others around you. In fact, the scripture equates it with the blood of Jesus. They will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Not his testimony, their testimony. That's yours. So, yeah, your life has this series of private events that all has a public purpose. So I will evaluate things. I'll look at my week. I'll look at, you know, what's going on in my life. And I'll ask myself, is there a purpose behind this? And I, I think that there's a few things that I have going on that did have a, a public uh, purpose this morning. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. So as we get into the word, there's a few things we're going to find. Uh, as we do this, you're welcome to jot them down. I encourage note-taking if you want to take notes. Uh, I think it's a, a healthy practice. You're under no obligation at all. But these are things you can look forward to as we get into the Word. Uh, one, we're going to find the difference between Jesus and Satan. Now, some of you might be thinking, like, that's, that's not a real hard thing to do, right? They're, they're polar opposite. And they are. But we're going to see in the Scripture the difference between Jesus and Satan. I think this is a healthy thing to, to examine in the Scripture, so that you can evaluate the circumstances that you're walking through, maybe the thoughts that you're thinking or the feelings that you're having, and be able to establish, is this Jesus or is this Satan? So we need to know the difference between those two. We'll see in the scripture the difference between Jesus and Satan. Another thing we're going to find is how to break destructive cycles. Now, that's the best way I could word it, right? I mean, I thought of a lot of creative ways to word it, maybe kind of witty ways, and that's just all I could come up with. If you have anything in your life that's destructive, it might be a pattern of sin or, or some kind of a, a rebellion. There could be a number of things that it is destructive and you want it gone, but yet it seems to come back and yet it seems to come back and yet it seems to come back. We're going to find a way to break that. I mean, it's something in the scripture that we see. And when we put the scripture to practice intentionally, we ought to expect very intentional results. And then another thing that we're going to find <clears throat> is what has to go in order for us to do what's right. What has to go in order for us to do what's right? So I've got to confess that, you know, the notes are a bit of a mess here. So if you catch me staring off into space here, I'm trying to get my thoughts together. But I want to deliver this in a way that's effective for each one of us. And I told you before, we're going to find out the difference between Jesus and Satan. I want to get there 
And I want to start in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 10, uh, we're going to look at verse 10. Now, in my mind, John 10, verse 10 is forever branded uh, in like John 10, 10, B. Have you ever seen that? Like, you know, you get uh, somebody have a scripture and they put like A or B. It basically means like it's not the entire verse. It's kind of the front half or the back half, okay? So I have John 10, 10 in my head as John 10, 10, B. And that's Jesus saying, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I remember when I became a Christian, I was working with a young uh, uh, pastor. He actually wasn't young, but he was working with young people. And he, he gave flashcards. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is kind of like going back to like grade school, right? And in these flashcards, he had a, a list of scriptures. And he just said, hey, I found in my life that it's very effective to memorize scripture. And so what we're going to do is we're going to meet every week. And we're going to go through some things. And it was a discipleship program. But every week he would give another set of flashcards. And I'm telling you, I mean, I'm an adult man. I have a career. And I'm showing up to this meeting at 5 in the morning with a ton of donuts. Let me tell you something. When I go for donuts, I take a trailer. Like, you, you don't, they sell them by a dozen for a reason, right? That's an individual serving, right? So, you know, I show up there, and I've got gallons of milk and donuts, and I'm ready to go, and this is discipleship. And then it was just kind of interesting to be an adult man and stand up in front of a, a classroom with other people in it and recite your memory verse. It's kind of odd. But he'd give flashcards, and I remember one of those flashcards was John 10, 10b, which was, I came that they may have life and might have it abundantly. I want to look at John 10, 10, the whole thing, because when we look at the whole thing, what we're going to find is a contrast. We're going to see Satan, and we're going to see Jesus. We'll be able to contrast the two. Now, this is a really wonderful and valuable, uh, uh, a wonderful thing to be equipped with. It's a, it's a wonderful tool to have, because you can look at whatever you're dealing with. Maybe it's something you're seeing from the outside. Maybe it's something you're feeling on the inside, and you'll be able to establish which side of this is this feeling on? Which side of this is this circumstance on? Is it on the side of Jesus or is it on the side of the devil? And then you can behave accordingly. So John 10.10, 10, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to find out the difference between Jesus and Satan. So first of all, Jesus is talking here and he refers to the thief. Okay, So we're going to go ahead and just establish that that's anything satanic if not Satan himself. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Then Jesus goes on to say, but I've come that they, and that's you, might have life and have it abundantly. So when I consider this, I see there's really just one thing here that's separating the two. One is either the taking of life or one is the impartation of life. Life is either entering into me where there's increase of light and joy and all the things that are life-giving or life is being taken from me as if it's being vacuumed out, where all of my peace and all of my stability are being stolen away, whether it's by situation or circumstance or relationship, it could be anything. But no matter what, in my life, there's only two works that could be taking place, either the work of the devil, which is taking life away from me, or the work of Jesus Christ, which is bringing life into me. And I think that's why Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it in abundance. So that we wouldn't confuse this with just being born again and being rescued from hell or having eternal life. It's not just I came that they might live, but so that life might be abundant in me, continuing to grow and continuing to, to move and continuing to expand throughout my existence. That there's never just a time where I become just alive, but rather life is meant to thrive in me. 
every single day becoming more and more acquainted with the wonders and the goodness of all that God's brought into my life, all by the blood of Jesus, which is 100% God's mercy. Completely undeserved by me. I promise you that. So as Jesus is revealing the difference between Satan and the difference between him, we're now equipped to evaluate whatever's going on in our life. Is this bringing life into my household or is this taking life away? Is this bringing life into my circumstance or my situation or is it taking it away? If it's bringing it in, then it's Jesus and let it be celebrated. If it's taking it out, then it must be Satan and we need to deal with that accordingly. The Bible says resist it. It's a really interesting word. In fact, the word for that resistance is, is like, like antihistamine. And we know that living in Abilene, Texas, right? How many of you taking a little Benadryl every now and then? Yeah, hachoo, right? Yeah, there's plenty of that going on. I mean, this is kind of an allergy capital. But that's the kind of resistance that's meant to be uh, uh, called, uh, or that's the kind of resistance that we're called to. It's literally to block it, to, to cut it off so that it can't have an effect. It's a very active thing to do. It's not passive. I want to give you a scripture here because as we're learning how these things work, as we're learning that Jesus is bringing life in and the devil is attempting to steal life away, I want to look at those strategies and I think that there's something that's very important that we need to examine. I'll give you a passage of scripture here from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. I want to look at verses 26 and 27. Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27. If my goal is to resist the devil, resist that taking away of life, that destruction and that drawing away of everything that God's brought into me, which is life through Jesus in abundance, then I want to understand and know how these things are drawn away so that I don't partake in them, so that I don't participate in them. Here's what Ephesians says, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 26. It says, be angry, but yet don't sin, and don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Now, that's really the part of that passage that kind of wakes me up. There's a few alarm bells that go off and flags and bells and whistles and whatnot. The point is, is that's what gets my attention. You mean there's something I could be doing that gives the devil an opportunity? There's something I could be doing that is opening up the door for this thief to come in and steal and kill and, and destroy. There's something that I could be doing that I could stop doing. And if that's the case, then I'd like to stop doing it. And I'd like for everyone to be aware of it so they could stop doing it too. Based on this passage of scripture, what I see is that there's this call to be frustrated or mad or angry or something to be disappointed, but yet don't sin. And the way we do that is by handling those things and handling them appropriately. That passage of scripture, when you read it directly, says be angry, but yet don't do anything corrupt. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, this is a little bit of a riddle. I mean, you could ask if I'm mad, does that mean I've got like till sunset? I don't think so. I think what you're looking at here is if you don't deal with the things that have you frustrated, if you don't deal with the things that make you angry, it's going to become infected. Let me tell you something that I hate. I hate like fake Bible verses. And let me explain what that means. You've all heard fake Bible verses. In fact, Texas kind of is really bad about it, right? I used to like work with a guy. He was in a, co a congregation. In fact, he was a leader in that congregation. He was the worst about it. He would like quote these fake Bible verses, and I'd have to be like, you know, it really doesn't say that, right? Here's one of his favorite. Now, you know, the Bible says the Lord works in mysterious ways. 
He loves saying that. And I thought, no, it doesn't. Your grandma says that. The Bible doesn't say that. That's ridiculous. In fact, the Bible says that God doesn't do anything without first revealing it to his servants, the prophets, which means he's the opposite of mystery. He's revealing everything that he does all the time. If you're dealing with something mysterious, you're not dealing with God because God is going to reveal what he's doing. He's not interested in surprise. He's revealing those things and calling us to partake in them and participate in them. So it's interesting to me when you hear kind of, you know, uh, fake verses like that. And I think when we deal with those things, it's important for us to be aware that, you know, those are things that are uh, meant to be put in their proper place. People with good intentions may say things that are not right. And we look at this, and the idea that the sun is, could go down on our anger is not this, this concept that we have this short amount of time to deal with something but rather that we need to deal with it or it's going to become a problem. So here's another fake Bible verse, right? And I don't know that anybody's ever told me that the Bible says this, but people say this. They present it as if it's a proverb. Time heals all wounds. You ever heard that one? Uh, how many of you believe that? Let me tell you what time has done with every wound I've ever had. Introduced infection. If I don't care for that wound, if that wound does not heal, all time does is make it worse. And what was once just this limited injury then becomes this poison that could destroy my entire body. That's what time does. So I think what God's telling us here is, listen, there's going to be things that hurt your feelings. There's going to be things that offend you. There's going to be things that make you mad. There's going to be things that make you angry. And based on this passage of Scripture, what you're hearing is that's okay. Just what you do with it now is the difference between right and wrong. Be angry and sin not. When people provoke you, when people do things that hurt you and wound you, you don't go back after them and reciprocate. However, you've got to deal with this quickly or else that hurt and that wound will sit inside of you and fester and become infected. And before you know it, it will become a poison that will begin to draw the life out of you, the life that Jesus brought into you. Time doesn't heal anything. Only healing heals. And Jesus is our healer. Interesting thing to look at. So when I look at this, I, I consider the, the, the effects of being mad or being upset. I work with people and things go wrong. And, and I've often been asked, like, are you mad? And I'm, you know, uh, it sounds kind of noble, but I'll tell them, well, I really don't get mad. Well, that's kind of true. I do get mad, but I try not to get mad like everybody else gets mad where you introduces vengeance and reciprocation and, and, you know, yelling and screaming and fussing and whining and fighting. Things hurt. I'm a pretty sensitive guy, I think. Things can really hurt my feelings. Things can affect me in really dark and negative ways. The question is, what am I going to do with that? Is it going to inspire me then to move in anger and begin to reciprocate this action in order to just uh, make things worse? Or am I going to realize that this is the thing that is going to take life away from me? This is the devil at work. And this is not what God paid the highest price to bring into my life. Rather, this is the opposite. This isn't Jesus. This is the devil. And if I participate and partake in the devil's work, then I'm hardly doing the work of the Lord. I'm hardly doing the work of Jesus Christ. I'm hardly being a Christian. So the question is, what do we do with the things that hurt us? It's important to be careful not to get angry. 
I'll give you a few passages of scripture. Now, we've talked about anger before in great detail, so we may have used some of these. It may sound a little familiar, but they're all going to apply to today. You can see that this is a really wonderful strategy. If you get people angry, you cause them to, to compromise. Uh, you, if you get someone angry, you can make them do things they wouldn't normally do. You can take someone who's really nice and really gentle and really kind, and if you can get them mad enough and you can get them angry, they might show you they're not that nice and they're not that kind. You could get somebody that's very righteous and, and has strong convictions, and if you get them mad enough, they may compromise those convictions. When you begin to see this, you begin to realize, like, wow, this is a really potent thing. No wonder the devil is constantly provoking and drawing people into situations and circumstances where they'll be hurt and they'll be wounded so that maybe they'll become angry and then they'll compromise. Here's a couple of passages of Scripture for you. Uh, Psalm 37, 8. Psalm 37, 8, it, says, it reads like this. I'll just keep it simple. Uh, stop being angry. It says, cease from anger and forsake wrath and do not worry. It only leads to evil doing. That's a really powerful passage of scripture. Stop being angry. It's only going to lead to you doing things that are evil. Pretty interesting to think about. It doesn't just say stop being angry, it's only going to make things worse, or it's only going to make you, you know, not sleep good, or it's only going to cause you to worry, or it's only going to you know, make the pain more. It says, no, you're going to do something nasty. If you can't get over this, if you can't move in the direction that is life-giving, if you get sucked into the position of participating in the devil's work that is stealing, killing, and destroying all of those things that are abundant in life, then what you're going to end up finding yourself in is a position where there's evil being done. Now, I see a passage of Scripture like this, and I think, like, hey, I want to really consider that. I mean, I don't think anyone in this room wants to sign up for evil doing, right? Hey, how many of you want to get real evil? Well, not a lot of hands go up. So then my prayer life now isn't God just, you know, keep me from doing evil, but it's God also protect me from anger, that which leads to evil doing. When people offend me, when they hurt me, when they wound me, when they rip my heart out, when they step on me, when they forsake me, when they betray me, when they do horrible things to me, just protect me from getting angry at them. I think it's a wonderful thing to consider when you consider Jesus on the cross. You have no greater manifestation of brutality than the beating he took. And then to be nailed to that wood and lifted up and then mocked. And he could say something like this. And I think this is when the gospel comes to life, by the way. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I want that in my vocabulary. God, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And if they knew what they were doing right now, if they knew the pain they were causing, if they knew the destruction they were causing, if they knew what's at stake and how they're squandering it, if they knew what was being lost right now, if they had any clue of the reality of what's going on right now, they would never do this. And so I choose to forgive them, and I ask you to do the same. You see this door closed to anger. Let me tell you something. Jesus is better than me. Is that a mystery to you? Like, does that shock anybody? I'd have been up there making a list. Coming for you. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. But that's what God's getting out of my heart. That's what he's driving out of me and purging out of me is that participation in the work of the devil that would reciprocate stealing and killing and destroying. 
that would reject the temptation to, to be vindictive and that would adopt the call to bring life into those situations. Even when destruction has been handed to me, I will return to you life. It's Jesus. Here's another passage of scripture for you, Proverbs 29, 22. Uh, it speaks of something different than just, you know, general evil doing or sin. In fact, this is intentional, right? And I'll explain that in a minute. But 29, 22 out of Proverbs reads like this. An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Abounds in transgression. Transgression's a very churchy word, right? It's different than sin, We've talked about the difference between sin and transgression and iniquity in the past before. Sin could be accidental. Like if I were to, you know, walk past you and, and bump into you, it's an accident. I didn't walk up to you and shove you out of anger, right? There's a big difference between those two things. Sin could be an incident. You know, I didn't realize I did wrong. I'm so sorry. It's, it's still wrong. Transgression is a better word that we use today is rebellion. You knew it was wrong and you did it anyway. That's transgression. And when God speaks and he says, I will forgive your sin, your transgression, and your iniquity, he's not just trying to like lengthen his statement for drama or, or expand, you know, to reveal to you that he's got a very vast vocabulary. He's not trying to sound smart. He's talking about three altogether different things that the blood of Jesus will wash out of our lives. Not just the error where we mess up, but even the intentional things that we do because we're nasty. We know we're not supposed to, but we want to, and so we do it anyway. That's transgression. And what you see here is an angry man stirs up strife, and someone who can't control their temper will abound in transgression. I mean, there's going to be a lot of it. If I find that my behavior is rebellious, if I find that I'm starting to do the things that I know I shouldn't do, I have to ask myself, where is the anger in my life right now? And, and what do I need to lay down? What source of of, of rebellion do I need to quench? What anger needs to be ministered to? Because according to this passage of scripture, anger opens up the door for that rebellion to be in abundance. Makes you want to check your heart. I'll give you a couple of more passages of scripture here and, and uh, I'll tell you a, a couple of things that uh, we were going to look for. We're going to find them here momentarily. Anger is going to result in, in something negative, like there's going to be some sort of a, a, a negative end to this, no matter what. And this is where I hate things like our media and, and our entertainment industry, you know. Because they kind of glamorize things like revenge. Have you noticed that? It's something that's really romanticized. The reality is it's really nasty, and the Bible promises that it will not end well for you. That even if there's this temporary satisfaction of payback, in the end, there will be suffering. And here's a passage of scripture that you can hang your hat on as it concerns that. Uh, from Matthew, Matthew 5, 22. I say to you, everyone that's angry, that's an interesting word to use, right, with his brother, will be guilty before the court. I don't want to be guilty. So I need to purge my heart from this anger. This provocation to participate in the work of Satan, to steal and kill and destroy, to take away life instead of impart life, just like Jesus. I don't want to be angry. Here's a couple of things that I think are important to see, and I think it's important to see these things because it, it helps us get things uh, in check. Now, I told you before that if you ever have anything in your life that's like a vicious cycle, and I'm a guy that has known addiction, right? I think that's a pretty vicious cycle. I've never really met an addict that really loved being addicted, 
right? In fact, most of them were struggling trying to get out of it, and they would try to stop, and they'd just bring them back, and they'd try to, that's the depressing thing, is you can't get out. You want to get out, but you can't. And I've had the most unmanly cry sessions with snot and tears, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, but I can't stop this, I can't stop this, I can't stop, it sucks. You start to see destructive patterns. Check your heart for anger. Here's a passage of scripture. Uh, Proverbs 19, 19. Here's how it reads, okay? Proverbs 19, 19. A man of great anger will bear the penalty. It means he's going to suffer. And then it goes on to say this. Even if you rescue him, you'll only have to do it again. What an interesting passage of scripture. Even if you rescue him, you'll only have to do it again. It means it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. Now let me go one step further. Here's what it really means. Until the anger is dealt with, the cycle's going to continue. Apply that to anything that's, that's got a cycle in your life. I mean, I've worked with men before that had addictions to pornography. I've worked with people that have had addictions to drugs. And I can tell you, it all has similar roots. At some point, there's some form of resentment or anger in their life. It could be from, you know, relationships that went south. It could be from parental relationships that were shaky or rocky or just really awful. But no matter what, there's some source where some bitterness or some anger enters in. And before you know it, there's a cycle that's so destructive. It's hated, but it cannot be shed. Shed the anger, you shed the cycle. It's quiet in here. Yeah. Now, this is something to consider. I want to offer this because I think this is really worth noting. I mentioned before, like, the, the contrast between Satan and Jesus, right? Satan being the one that's there to kill and to steal and destroy, obviously trying to, to take away that which Jesus brings, which is life and life in abundance. I want to consider a couple of things, and, and I, I want to consider these things according to that contrast. Satan there to, to take away the life, Jesus there to bring the life. It's a really interesting strategy to work through anger if you're the devil. If my goal was to take away the life that Jesus came to bring, anger would just be an ideal tool or method to do it. And here's why. Because anger is a contagious thing. I mean, we're not too far removed from, you know, the year 2020 where we all became familiar with, you know, contagions, right? People were concerned about something spreading. We ought to consider the pandemic that is anger. Here's a passage of scripture for you, Ephesians chapter 4, it's 26 and 27. Oh, excuse me, I'm giving you the wrong uh, passage there, I looked at the wrong place. Proverbs 22, 24 and 25. You've got to forgive my old eyes. Proverbs 22, 24 and 25. Here's how it reads, don't associate with a man given to anger or you'll learn his ways and find yourself in a trap. Now, we use that passage of Scripture once upon a time when we actually just talk directly about anger, and I think that passage of Scripture really reveals a lot. It reveals that if you're around people that are angry, you will become angry. And this is an interesting thing to consider because I have a little bit of a hero complex on me where I want to step in and help people. What I realize when I read that passage of Scripture is when I'm around people that are like violent and angry and things like that, I'm just going to let them go burn out over there. 
but I'm not going to get sucked into that. I will be there standing by when there's an opportunity to step in and quench those fires, but I'm not going to go and burn myself. And that's an interesting example to use, the idea of fire and burning. Uh, just for example, if you look in the book of Ephesians, you'll find like the armor of God, right? I mean, you'll, you got like the, the helmet of salvation and, and you got the, you know, the, the shoes that are the gospel and the, the belt of truth. You've got these things that are listed as the armor of God. Well, one of those things is a shield of faith, right? It's Ephesians chapter 6. And that shield of faith is there for a purpose and a reason. In fact, it says to extinguish the, <laughs> to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. I remember as a kid reading that and just being like, why are they flaming? Is it just to make them sound more deadly or just, you know, a little more scary? Is Paul trying to think like, how can I write this where people will really pay attention? I know, let's light them on fire. And I remember like as a kid reading, and it's probably a King James or something, they called them flaming missiles, right? That sounds really terrifying, right? <laughs> flaming missiles. Here's what's funny. I mean, the only reason why you would light an arrow on fire and then stick it in somebody is so that everybody they touched would catch on fire too. Light me on fire and let me touch you and see if you don't burn. And then you touch you and you touch you and you touch him and you touch her and then all of a sudden we're all on fire. That's how anger works. It spreads and it's contagious and it's nasty business. And it opens up the door for us to participate in the work of the devil, be vindictive. I'm so mad at you, I want to hurt you so mad at you, you just deserve to feel pain and suffering. I'm so mad at you, I'm going to be mean to you. I'm going to take life, not give it. I'm going to participate with Satan instead of walking my call to participate with Jesus. That's what anger does. It's got to go. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture here because we're going to move past this. I think it's important to talk about some, some things that we can do in order to close the doors to these things. And I think it's a really interesting uh, thing to pursue. And, and I want to uh, give a passage of scripture here that I think is really important. And it comes from the Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 25, 28. It talks about someone who can't control their temper. That means somebody who gets angry, right? Here's what it says about this person. Somebody who gets angry real easy. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city that's broken into that has no walls, this is what a person's like who has no control over their temper. Somebody who just gets mad, gets angry like a city without walls. Now, we don't really think like that, right? There's no wall around the city of Abilene because times have changed, right? I mean, there's just there's, there's, there's a whole different uh, method of security and, and a whole different way of, of uh, protection and, and defense. But when this was written, there was a time when a, a, a wall had to be built around a city to prevent that city from being raided and pretend, prevent it from having a, a crime just sweep in and, and steal away. Basically, that wall was there to prevent stealing, killing, and destroying. Everything that Jesus said the devil comes to do, to steal, kill, and destroy. Anger makes a person like a city that has no wall. If I get mad, then I become so open to just being stolen from, having things stolen out of my life that are precious, having things killed that deserve to live and need to live, and having things destroyed that should be built up. There have been times before where I've caught myself and just thought, what the heck is happening to me? I am a blood-bought Christian man. There should be no insecurity in my life whatsoever. Why am I so depressed? I've been filled with joy, and I've been given infinite peace. Why do I feel like this? 
Could it be that my walls are down? Could it be that I'm angry? And that the one that can steal, kill, and destroy is coming and going at will? Then let me get control of my temper and let me shed my anger so that all of that protection might be built up around me. And no more can the one that steals, kills, and destroys just come and go freely. Stop. In Jesus' name. Interesting, isn't it? Now, that's going to get real practical, okay? I like to get practical. I think if you can't get practical, then you could really miss out on some things. And I, I, we're not just here to grow academically, right? Like, well, hey, your Bible IQ went up a few points, so congratulations, you know. But we're here to actually take some things that can be applied. Now, I told you there's some things in my life that, you know, have uh, they're private, but they have a public purpose. But I think this is pretty well universal. I think this is shared across the board. I can think of some things that uh, if they're not handled appropriately, make me prone to being angry, right? We're just going to call these basic needs. And if we can do practical things, I think we can uh, accomplish really uh, profound things. In fact, that, that's one of my greatest weaknesses. I'll show you my clay feet right now. You could ask my wife. There are times that she just asks for something very basic. I mean, she's like the least needy person on planet Earth, and she'll ask for something very basic, and I'll fail to perform that very basic thing because I'll try to do something colossal. Instead of just doing the practical, I'll try to do the profound. When the reality is if we'll do the practical, we'll accomplish the profound. So these are just practical things, right? You want to... You want to get control of your temper? Here's a couple of practical things. Let me give you a few practical things. I'm going to give you three basic needs that when these three basic needs are met, you will practically equip yourself with what you need to control your temper, to really kind of close the door to anger. Here's the first one, nutrition. How many of you get angry when you don't eat? Yeah, well, it's getting to be about lunchtime. You about to get ticked? Look out. So I have listed here nutrition. It's not just about eating, it's about what you eat. I can tell you this, if I eat a bunch of garbage, man, it affects my mood. I use the word chippy sometimes, right? Feeling a little chippy. That means like step back. If I eat garbage or, or if I don't eat at all, there are times where I'll come home and I'll say something and Ashley will ask me, did you eat today? Because you're acting like you need to eat. And she's normally right. No, I didn't and I need to. You're right. Here's something as it concerns nutrition. Here's a passage of scripture for you. Matthew 15, I want to read, this is going to be a lot, okay? It's a little bit of a mouthful. Chapter 15, verses 15 through 20. It's five passages, right? Five verses. I'm going to read them to you, and then I'm going to kind of break it down. But think nutrition here, okay? So Jesus is talking, and then somebody finally gets the courage to ask him a question. And I think people were scared to ask Jesus questions because we like to think we know everything, right? And we want everyone else to think we know everything. You have to humble yourself to ask, right? So finally, and it's normally Peter. I think Peter's the only one that has the guts to ask questions. And he walks up to Jesus and he says, hey, will you please explain that to us? Will you explain what you just said? And it says, and Jesus said, are you still lacking understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into your mouth passes into the stomach and then is eliminated, like excreted? But the things that, that, that come out of the mouth, the things that you say, these things come from the heart. And it's those things that defile a man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witness and slanders. These are the things that defile a man. It's pretty interesting to consider. 
I want to break that down so that it doesn't just stand out there as this free-floating thing. Jesus is saying it's not what goes in that defiles, it's what comes out. Now, here's where I want to take this because I think this is very important. What you take in is what will come out. What you take in is what will come out. If you put nonsense and garbage in, nonsense and garbage will come out. And when Jesus is saying this, he's not saying it doesn't matter what you take in. What he's saying is the defilement doesn't happen when it goes in. The defilement happens when it comes out. You take in a bunch of filth and nonsense, that's not when the defilement takes place. The defilement happens when you defile those around you, when it pours out of your life. When it begins to affect how you deal with those around you, when it begins to affect how you view those around you, that's when the defilement happens. That's when that which you took in as a seed sprouts roots and begins to grow, and the next thing you know, the fruit you produce is nasty. Take in a bunch of violence, and then violence comes out. Take in a bunch of filth, and then filth comes out. Take in a bunch of rage and anger, and then rage and anger comes out. Have you noticed the obsession in our culture today with, like, MMA and fighting? God, I hate it. Some of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my life were men being beaten. I'll go to restaurants and just think, I'm eating here, and on this TV, this giant TV, there are men beating each other. Can I please change seats? I don't want to sit and watch that. If I take that in, guess what's going to come out? I want that. Nutrition. What you take in is going to affect what comes out. Be careful what you take in. Here's another thing that can help us to close the door to the nasty business of participating with the devil. Now, remember, these are basic needs. Oh, this one's really good. Attention. Attention. If someone is denied attention, anger will be the result. Just look at our youth today. The house is broken. The family unit is, is compromised. There is no gathering around the table. There is, there is no family connection or contact. And all of a sudden, you've got a bunch of PO'd youth, angry, bitter youth. You deny someone attention, and it will produce something nasty. I'll give you a passage of scripture here, and this one's not real profound, but you can take it for what it's worth, and I think it will accomplish what we've set out to accomplish. Genesis 2.18. Then God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for him to be in a position where he doesn't have attention. Or she. It's not gender specific. Deny someone nutrition, and anger will be the result. Deny someone attention, and anger will be the result. It's the reason why the body of Christ exists the way it does. I mentioned it before. It's not just teaching and music, right? But it's community. This is supposed to be a place where we have appropriate attention, where we can have fellowship with each other, where we can close that door to anger, where we can have contact that's safe. Attention. So we don't have to be alone. I have a church community. And here's another thing. If you deny me this in my life practically, I'm probably going to get lose control of my temper. At least it's going to be easier. Remember we mentioned nutrition. You don't eat, you're going to lose your temper. Uh, attention, you're denied attention, and you know a rejection, you're going to lose your temper. Here's the last one I want to give you today. Rest. You ever been grouchy? Just didn't sleep enough? 
probably open the door for you to be a little chippy, as I say. Yeah. But you've got to understand, even though there's a practical element to that, like this is a biblical element. Rest is an important thing. I mean, my, this I say to my own conviction big time. My wife has a book that has the hours that I keep in it. Now, it's not kept to smack me around with. It's just kept because I deny it. You've worked. You haven't taken a day off in this long. You haven't done this. And I'm, no, 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 that's not true. That's not, I mean, she can show me now because I'm, I'm dull to it. I won't watch it myself. I won't take care of myself, and she's trying to take care of me. God's called for a Sabbath day, that there be rest. That's... That's probably the greatest violation within the church of all the Ten Commandments on any given, you know, uh, day of the week. People are committed to work and labor, and, and we've got to prosper, we've got to get ahead, we trust in our own hand, and so we just kind of think, well, we, we'll get by with that. It'll be okay. But God did that on purpose, not just because he wanted to give us another arbitrary rule to follow, but because he understands the importance and the value of rest. The same as nutrition and attention. If you don't have rest, you're going to be prone to compromise. I know that. My wife talked to me before about sleep deprivation. We had a conversation about it, and it did. It opened the door to compromise. Decision-making and, and, and activity was compromised greatly because of the absence of rest. Here's a passage of Scripture for you. It's important. I'll give you this one, because this one is, uh, if you want to... Take this down for your notes. Read this area of Scripture because it's really amazing. It's Moses and God talking. And, and when you think about that, it's kind of a profound thing to look at, you know, the Most High God, the maker of the heavens and the earth, having a conversation with a guy. But then you consider what they talk about and what they say. It's pretty amazing. But Exodus thirty-three fourteen, God makes this promise. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You could fill in the blank there with a lot of words that we would all be okay with, right? My presence will go with you and I'll give you forgiveness. My presence will go with you and I'll give you love. My presence will go with you and I'll give you mercy. My presence will go with you and I'll give you victory, right? We could put any word in there and we'd all celebrate that word. But the reality is the one who's very intentional, who said that word on purpose, chose to say, I'm going to give you rest. God will show you what we should value. We need to value rest so that we can close off the door to anger. I want to close with this passage of Scripture. I told you we we're going to find this, and I want to end with this. The time's gone a little long here. But the thing that we need to get rid of in order to do what's right, and I've struggled before with doing things right and doing things wrong, and I've sat and prayed, you know, God, let me fix this. I need to fix this. Let me fix this. And the reality is, in, until I get rid of the problem, I'm always going to have that same result. And this passage of Scripture reveals what needs to be addressed. I'll give it to you from uh, the book of James. James Chapter 1, I want to look at verses 19 and 20. 19 and 20, it reads like this. Everybody must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And then now here's the point in, in 20. Because the anger of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. Now, I take that last part and I take a few liberties with it in my own mind and in my own heart. What I realize is I'm never going to do what's right if I'm angry. The anger of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. I'll never be doing the will of God or what God wants for me while anger is in my heart, which tells me the opposite. When anger is in my heart, I'm going to be doing the things that aren't pleasing to him. 
And when I find that I'm doing the things that aren't pleasing to him, it's not a good situation. It results in sorrow. It results in participation in that work of Satan that is stealing and killing and destroying all that Jesus brings, which is life-giving. Nobody wants to do those things. And when we find that we're doing them, we all want to stop them. Sometimes that can be a challenge. Well, according to this passage of Scripture, the challenge isn't addressing the thing that's being done, but rather the source that's causing that thing to be done. And then in this case, that would be anger. To address the anger. Where is that point of provocation? Where is that point of uh, hurt or wound or rejection or suffering that has caused you to behave in this way, this unnatural, destructive way? Deal with that. And you fix the issue. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray for us. I apologize for the time. It's a lot to take in, really. And then, of course, you sit in a room and it's 100 degrees outside. And it gets to be a bit much after a while. But I can tell you that the main point of the day is to see to it that God lifts this hindrance off of every one of us in the room for the purpose of us doing the things that are pleasing to him. I would love to see my own life and your life as well purged from any obstacle that would keep you from participating in the work of Jesus, which is to bring abundant life. That would close the door to any participation that would take that away. I don't want to participate in the stealing and the killing and the destroying of what's good, what God's established. I think if this is something that's caught and we begin to walk in it, it begins to be evident. It shows in your words and in your actions. It shows in how we function and fellowship with one another. I think the end result is amazing, honestly probably transcends anything that exists in the world that we've ever experienced. I want to pray, and the prayer is really going to be simple. There's no greater minister in the room than the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is just trust that the Spirit of God is at work in each one of us individually. Just to reveal those areas of woundedness that can be laid down. And there where you stand, you may find yourself feeling uh, the need to surrender. And you can simply just talk to God. God, I surrender my anger toward this person. And I repent of it. Heal me from that so that it doesn't bring about destruction. That's between you and him. But I want to pray and I want to ask God to reveal those things to us so that what we carried in here isn't carried out. Father, we bless your name and we thank you. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and our minds. And we ask now in Jesus' name, by the presence of your Spirit, will you reveal to us the open doors for anger Will you give us the courage and the strength to forgive? That we would forgive those that have hurt us and wounded us and rejected us. That we would forgive those who have brought about such pain and sorrow and destruction. No matter how old the offense is, let today be the day that it's laid down. And let us take on your love and your affection. That we would stop participating with Satan with the theft and the destruction and the killing and the taking away of all that Jesus brings. But let us start participating with Jesus and bring life. Liberate us from those offenses and set us free 
to walk in our calling as your beloved, to walk in our calling to see your kingdom expand, and to celebrate our identity as your sons and daughters. Let the result bring you honor and glory that we would participate with Jesus in seeing life released into this world for your glory. We bless your name and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints declare, amen. Amen.